calling all freaks, weirdos, outcasts, ghouls, and lonely souls. Music's Metaphor is chillingly pleased to bring you the Lonely Souls Virtual Festival on Saturday, October 23rd at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join us for the first annual Mental Health Halloween Music Festival. The spectacular event will feature independent artists from the USA and beyond. For Depression Awareness Month, we hope to encourage and empower people who might be feeling afraid, anxious, depressed, or alone this fall. Special VIP $5 tickets will give a Halloween bag for a child in need in Orange County, California. No tricks, just treats. Get your tickets at musicsmetaphor.com. Hello everybody, welcome to the Root Horror Podcast, episode 70. I've got a great episode for you today. I had a chance to talk to author Matt Betts, and uh, he talks about his novels and the horror genre, and we talk a little bit about music, so uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. But before we get into the episode, I wanted to mention if you're in the Iowa, Illinois area, uh, definitely check out Factory of Fear. It's a haunted attraction that takes place in Moline, Illinois. Uh, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of October. So definitely check it out if you're into haunted housing. Uh, you can find out more at www.qcfactoryoffear.com. They're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, you name it. They're all on social media, so go check them out. Last year, they were voted top 10 haunted house. They placed number two on the voters' choice. So they are an awesome haunted housing attraction. Don't miss it. Oh, and by the way, they do other seasonal uh, haunted attractions. So in December, they'll have a haunted Christmas-themed weekend that will take place. Uh, Friday and Saturday of uh, December 10th and 11th and then they also do for a Valentine's themed uh, haunted attraction that will take place February 11th and 12th so mark your calendars if you want to feel a little uh, spooky on uh, other festive uh, times of the year so check them out 
www.qcfactoryoffear.com. Then I also want to mention uh, at the time of release of this episode, next week, October 8th and 9th, Halloween of Palooza in Ottumwa, Iowa will take place at the Haunted and Historic Hotel Ottumwa. The event is only Friday and Saturday, so Friday, October 8th, and Saturday, October 9th. There's going to be screen queens such as Kelly Marooney, who's played in uh, Chopping Mall, Zero Boys, Not of This Earth, uh, Night of the Comet. She's been in a lot of stuff. Then we also have Lynn Lowry, who's played in The Crazies, Shivers, The Cat People, I Drink Her Blood, and so many more. And we also have Brink Stevens, who's uh, played in Nightmare Sisters, The Slumber Party Massacre, had a little cameo in Jacko, which uh, Matt Awkward and I covered last October. Uh, She's been in just a ton of films, so it's going to be really cool to see them. And uh, unfortunately, Debbie Raccone has canceled her appearance, so if you're looking forward to her, uh, unfortunately, she will not be there this year. But uh, there is uh, another guest, uh, Justin Markson, who played the clown in Beckin Wood's Haunt movie, which he's an awesome dude. I met him uh, at Midwest Monster Fest. He's a cool dude, so... Uh, this is a, definitely an event not to miss. You guys should check it out. There's going to be uh, tons of vendors, Q&As, movie screenings, food, drinks. Uh, I think there's even going to be a tattoo artist there. So you can, if you want to get a tattoo, uh, there'll be someone there to tattoo you up. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. For more info on uh, tickets and just want to know more about the event you can go to halloweenapalooza.com and i'll have all these links in the show notes as well if you uh aren't sure how to spell things and whatnot so all that stuff will be in the description of this episode uh it's gonna be a lot of fun i don't know what else to say but uh so i guess without further ado let's uh Listen to the conversation I had with Matt Betts. you're listening to the rude horror podcast i'm your host marcus rude and today i'm here with writer author matt betts he's written novels such as white anvil indelible ink the shadow beneath the waves a steampunk zombie alternate history adventure called odd man out that was a finalist for the eric hoffer award for excellence in independent publishing in his latest novel, Red Gear 9, which is a sequel to Odd Man Out. Matt, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here. Uh, and thanks for the, for the intro. Yeah, it's a, I, I, I'm working on building those titles up, you know, getting, getting a few more out there. But I'm pretty excited about all of them that, are, that, that have made it so far. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you've worked on a lot of like sci-fi 
dark fantasy type of novels. Um, but, but before we dive into the novels, uh, I wanted to ask you, how did you first discover the horror genre? And like, what was your big intro into the horror genre? Well, you see, I, uh, I come from a small town in Ohio, uh, uh, Lima, that uh, is like literally like an hour or two hours from everywhere else that you know of in Ohio or the area, you know, so I've, um, we're like an hour plus from Toledo and Cincinnati and uh, Columbus. And so when I was growing up uh, a long time ago in the 70s, of course, we didn't have cable, we didn't have VCRs and stuff. So I was already kind of interested in uh, Godzilla and, and that, that type of horror monster from, you know, the black and white movies we could get every once in a while, like on Sunday and stuff like that. But we only had like one TV station in Lima or maybe two with PBS. So we'd have to like adjust our antenna and try and pick up whatever we could get, you know? <laughs> and uh, so if I was lucky and the weather was right and the winds were, you know, going, I could get, you know, stations from all the way in, into like Detroit or, or, you know, and Fort Wayne and all these other places. And so I would, you know, when, when they had like a Sunday movie monster matinee or whatever, I would sit there and adjust until I could, you know, pick up whatever they were, you know, whatever was happening. And I was just into whatever monster movie was going on that day or whatever horror or sci-fi thing that was coming across the waves that I could pick up. And, you know, eventually, you know, getting to DVD and cable and all that stuff, you get this wealth of, uh, you know, all these choices that come from everywhere. So uh, to, to not be able to select and then go to this, you know, great uh, uh, range of stuff was, was just terrific. But um, I also had a lot of big readers in my family. My, my dad reads a ton. My aunt uh, at the time. Our, my grandpa lived next door and he, he had like stacks of paperbacks, like three, he'd have like three stacks on either side of his chair. Uh, just up to the arm of the chair and he would just sit there and read something and move on to the next one but he read like everything he could get his hands on I mean he would have you know sci-fi he would have horror he would have just whatever might be mainstream at the time or an adventure novel or whatever and so I would pick up some of those and, and, and the ideas from there and just loved reading whatever he had already checked out and, and the same with my dad um and so horror was a, was was a, a big range of those, and sci-fi was a big range. And you know, I, I did a little mystery here and there, but I really wanted to check out these monsters. You know, mm. so you know, even today, I'm still probably more of a uh, you know like a Godzilla type horror or you know monster type horror than than maybe even the more uh, you know subtle types of horror and things like that 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 you might find, or even you know the extremes in the other direction. So. Um, but yeah, getting started, it was really just lucky to have people who read and wanted me to read and just, uh, you know, dig in monster movies and stuff like that. So nice, nice. Yeah. Creature features are just a ton of fun. I absolutely I, I, I am with you there, man. Like I, I do love <laughs> me some creature features, some monster right. films. So the other story I, I, I tell people is that, you know, I growing up in the 70s, my parents took me to the drive in. Uh, when Jaws came out, I was like five oh. and they took me to see Jaws at a drive-in movie on this, you know, this humongous outdoor screen. And I had a problem with swimming for a while there, but that was another thing that really hooked me was that sort of creature that something was that real that could be the focus of this terror, you know, or, or the focus of a movie like that. And uh, I, I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I've watched the movie now and really appreciate it for what it is and, and, the, and the artistry that goes into it. But back then it was, I didn't want to go in our family pool because, you know, there could be a shark somewhere in there, even though it's only like three and a half feet deep, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's another thing that kind of got me down the horror, horror side, you know? Right. Yeah. Jaws is, is definitely a great one. And, you know, when, when you're like a kid, you kind of like soak in a lot of uh, 
like the films that are you know introductions to horror but you know yeah. like for jaws you know when you watch at a young age like that that's actually pretty scary sure and, right and you know and, and my my grandfather next door would go he would retire to florida every year you know in the winter so he didn't have to be up there and he would you know go and uh scoop out and he'd find shark's teeth and he would sell them so so there was that sort of reminder for me every year annually hey look at all these shark's teeth i found oh yeah i remember being terrified of that yeah thanks for the reminder it's great <laughs> right right uh well uh so uh you know uh later in life uh i've i've heard that uh you became like a, a radio dj and you got into more of like the radio side of things before uh, started focusing on writing more. Um, yeah. What was the uh, Matt Betts like uh, for radioing and then deciding that you wanted to become a writer instead? Well, you know, I, uh, I started in radio um, in college. I went to the University of Toledo and I thought, you know, it'd be fun to be uh, a, a writer, a news writer, or, or uh, a TV anchor, or something. It sounded like, you know, I had to go to college. I was going to college. I had to have some sort of major. And I thought, you know, communications is going to be a good major just because I, you know, I listened to the radio so much. And uh, my, my family also, aside from being big readers, are huge into music. And, you know, so they listened to all this, uh, you know, 50s and 60s music. And so I get to college. And I mean, literally, like the first week, I, I see that you can, you know, people want you to get involved and they want you to go do. Uh, activities and they want you to get into like sports or something like that. And I thought, well, you know, I'll go to the radio station and tell them I'm kind of interested in, in being on the air and, 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 you know, being a reporter or being a writer, whatever they want me to do for their, for their newscast or, or, you know, whatever was available. And I, I, you know, they turned around, like literally uh, said, sure, here you go. We'll get to, you can be on the air starting next week. And uh, here's how you download the news. And here's how you do the clips and gave me this crash course before I'd even taken literal courses in college on how to do any of this stuff, how to edit sound, how to edit, you know, whatever. And these were, you know, things we were taking off of satellite feeds that would come down and, you know, not like today where you can do everything on demand. You had to you know, get in there at eight o'clock and there's a feed at 8.05 and you record that feed and you, you know, whatever. So you really had to be on your game to do all this. And I was just standing there going, uh, hello. <laughs> so I, 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 they, I figured it out, well, you know, and it was rocky at first and, but uh, I was on the air, like literally, within a week if even that long and some of my other friends that had uh come from the same high school that went to school there got involved and helped out with you know various uh duties there in the studio as well so once i got good at that you know i started talking about more music and and did some djing there um i came in again in the stone ages uh when i got to the uh started doing the djing side of it as well it was literally all on vinyl. I mean, it was still, everything was vinyl. Maybe they had like uh, carts or uh, eight tracks or whatever, but for the most part, it was vinyl. We were excited that we had a shoebox full of DVDs and it wasn't even full of DVDs. It was like, you know, maybe a, a, a half a shoebox of, of, of uh, not DVDs, sorry, CDs. And that was all they had in the whole studio was that. So we were excited to get to use those once in a while. I helped out with the heavy metal show where it was basically vinyl. So mm. just, you know, not even classes, uh, everything else was like a crash course. And doing things that I really loved and listening to music that I loved and talking to other people that just really were into it. So I, I, I tried to take some classes in uh, writing there at, at, in college, but the professors that I had at the time, uh, a, a couple of them were very anti-genre stuff. They didn't wanna, want you writing horror. They didn't want you writing sci-fi or, or you know anything like that. They really wanted 
you know, the, the, the traditional sort of story, the sort of narrative in fiction, you know, the, the, the like popular fiction rather than the, all these genres. So mm-hmm. I did some stuff. I got, I got okay grades, but um, was really discouraged from it for, by some of the professors. But the, the fun thing was that, you know, you had to read some of this in class or you had to talk about your chapters or do these things. And I, you know, we get these sort of looks from the, the professors, but I would have people that were in the class stop me, you know, weeks later saying, hey, did you ever finish that story? Or what, you know, did you, what did you do with that idea? So it was fun that I got that sort of encouragement. But at that time, you know, you're in college and like you're looking for the professor to tell you you're doing something right and didn't really get that. So I took a little break and uh, I, I ended up working radio in my hometown in Lima for, you know, several years. But uh, funny, well, at first I, I did some in Toledo as well. And then I did some in my hometown, but both of those first uh, stations, you know, I, I'm in um, college right when like, you know, grunge is really hitting Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all these other terrific bands. And so my first gig in radio and, and the one after that is at an oldie station. I'm, I, so, <laughs> so all these great uh, grunge bands, you know, Soundgarden and stuff are, are just really getting big. And I'm playing Beach Boys and Beatles and Roy Orbison and stuff like that, which was fine with me. You know, it was a little weird, but it was fine with me because I grew up with that music. Like th- those were my parents, you know, sort of uh-huh. sort of ideas. But everybody else was like, hey, I got the new, you know, whatever Sonic Youth or whatever came out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go play some, uh, you know, some, uh, I don't know, some Beach Boys. Steelers Wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I did that there. And then I went to home and I, I, I did that as well in Lima at an oldie station. And then someone came in and bought all the uh, stations. Uh, that you know were in that same group and so we suddenly had a uh i was mainly doing helping with the morning show and doing uh, news at a at the oldie station they also had a country station which i did news on occasionally and uh uh an am station that i did news on and uh the other one was sort of a top 40 so i got a little bit more <laughs> into the music i was actually listening to rather than you know the oldies and stuff but uh that was where you know i hung out there it was fun i got to be creative you know you're on you're on the air as a dj i did overnights for a while i did late nights for a while and you get to be creative and 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 you get to interact with the people that call in and you get to talk about the music you want to talk about or you get to talk about what happened in history that day that made you know sense to you but the problem was that all these corporations were buying up all these stations and making them less creative, making them more sort of homogenized, you know, making them all sound the same, because that was sort of the plan is to be able to go up the highway and hear the same sort of station, almost the exact same station all the way there. And so uh, when they came in, they got rid of a lot of the staff just because they didn't need it. It was all, you know, done from one place or done from, you know, recorded before, you know, it, before it even hit the air. There's no live in, in some of these places. Huh. So they got rid of half the staff in news and in some other areas. And I was one of them and didn't really mind it because, you know, it just really didn't feel the same and ended up uh, moving to Columbus and, and getting into a writer's group there because I didn't know anybody. I, I moved there to be with my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife, but I knew nobody else there. Uh, so I got into a writer's group because I was like, I really want to explore this a little more. And that writer's group is still going. They had like their 21st uh, anniversary of, you know, when they formed. So we all learned how to write everything. Uh, at the same time, I mean, we all learned together, even though we wrote wildly different things. We learned how to submit stories to places. We learned how to edit. We learned how to critique each other's work so that it helped rather than harmed your work. And uh, uh, so and that's, I started writing from there. So like 2000, I, I started with that group and first novel didn't come out until 2013, but I did a lot of poetry and, and, and short stories in between there. So uh, that's how I got from one to the other, the, the long version from getting to, to, into radio and then getting into writing. That's fantastic. Um, but 
Yeah, you know, and, and as we learned all that stuff, we started teaching places and, and, and meeting new people and meeting publishers and meeting editors. And uh, it just sort of dragged us along in these, uh, these crazy career paths in writing. For sure, for sure. Uh, I noticed uh, a little while back when you were talking that uh, you mentioned, um, you know, back to like the, the radio side of things uh, that, yeah. that you were DJing like a heavy metal on vinyl. Yeah. What, what type right. of like, you know, I, I listen to heavy metal, so I was just kind of interested yeah. to hear like what kind of heavy metal were you guys uh, broadcasting? Oh, man, it, it was really all over the place. I mean, it was, you know, uh, you know, everything from the mainstream, which for the college station at that point was probably about half. You know, you were doing Van Halen, you were doing, uh, 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 you know, Iron Maiden by that time and docking all that fun stuff. But, uh, you know, there were there were some pretty obscure things back there that I would look at, you know, because I uh, when I was training with other people, I'd be like, what? I've never heard of this. And it was really like this really beat up vinyl that's like, oh, it's a it's a band from Nevada and they were on their radio station and a friend of ours went there and found it. And so it was, you get these really, you know, really <laughs> terrific bands, but you're like, I don't know what's going on here because they're just uh, they're not with a regular label. And, you know, everything was was just starting to get into sort of that indie side then. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, what are some people you listen to or what bands have you been into um well uh i guess like i, I listen to more of like uh the more modern heavy metal stuff so sure right. but you know like i uh, when i was getting into heavy metal like you know i listened to like you know black sabbath deep purple sure. yeah. um you know kind of like the the pioneers of heavy metal yeah. to what we know today and uh dio and uh, iron sure. maiden and then i kind of yeah know grew into like you know obviously metallica uh slayer stuff like that right just yeah you know as as time goes on you just kind of you know grow with the music so you know you listen to them and then now it's like okay i'm gonna listen to you know like lamb of god uh sure you know shadows (laughs) fall uh unearth those type of bands and then like you know but, but right. really, oh yeah really uh nowadays i i do kind of go back to like uh the old school death metal so like yeah. death obituary um you know those those type of bands are kind of like uh some of my favorites still that like yeah. you know like they're they're timeless to me so any you know yeah. usually at any time i can uh, pop on one of their albums and just you know have a good time listening to their albums Sure. And, and for me, you know, with, with pop or with just, I'd listen, like I said, to just, to, just about everything. I mean, I, there's a few country artists I like, there's, there's this, and the, you know, every a jazz, you know, it, it's just whatever hits me. But a lot of the time for me, it would be going back and one of my favorite bands ever was the police and, you know, listen to somebody that played with them or, Oh, somebody played guitar on this with somebody that played with the police. I'm going to check his stuff out. And you kind of go down that rabbit hole of, I love this, band or this you know uh this album and you go back and read the liner notes and you follow who who might have played on that that didn't stick with the band or whatever and see what they did and then it's that tree of following people all the way all all over the place and you discover some great stuff there and you discover some stuff why that musician might be kind of obscure at this point but it's it's fun to find out you know it's fun to see who might have been the the big influence inside the group and see what they did next and and yeah it's it's like uh with uh, rage against the machine and following tom morello and all of his side projects and uh-huh. and uh uh, uh zach de la rocha and his other projects and just seeing 
what you get out of that that main band and then seeing where they go from there and and whether they keep that sound or modify that sound or go in a completely bonkers direction is always so much fun to check out right right yeah 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 like uh i'll mention like mike Patton with uh oh sure you know mr bungle and then yeah doing and uh uh, what was his mate his other band faith no Uh, more faith no more right right and then now he's got like uh um I want to say like a solo project, but he's got, uh, oh my gosh, I, I have the CD, but it's like totally like, I would say more on the Mr. Bunkle side, but it's okay. just really off the wall stuff mm-hmm. that uh, he's incorporated a lot of like horror themes in the album. Oh, nice. And which I thought that was really cool. Uh, I right. I have the album. I'll, I'll send you a message when I find <laughs> it, just like, you know, hey, that this was the yeah. album. But, uh, sure. Yeah. I saw somebody post something the other just the other day on Mike Patton. I think it was a picture of Faith No More was playing at somebody's prom or one of their parties or something, mm. and it was just the strangest picture to see Mike Patton and, and these guys. And I, and I don't know if it was after they became famous or before. It was just right around that era, so it was it was pretty funny. And I remember my one of my roommates bringing home the first uh, the first uh, Mr. Bungle album, and I, I was. I was dumbfounded by most of that. And then I, it kind of grew on me, but I was like, what in the world? This is nothing like that. You know, they had just done like the cover of uh, Easy, uh, uh, Lionel Richie's Easy. And it was such a great cover. And then he brings out uh, Faith the Moore just done it. And then uh, they bring out Mr. Bungle. And it was just so off the wall that it took a little getting used to. Uh, and, and it's about the same time they were doing uh, somebody uh, was my same roommate was heavy into Oingo Boingo, which was, you know, they had a lot of mainstream hits for movies and things like that. And, you know, Danny Elfman, that's his start. And, uh, but they, their non-hits were very sort of off the wall and, and very exploratory of electronic music. And you just kind of looked at it and went, okay, uh, I can get into this, but it's going to take a little settling. I think, you know, it's going to, it didn't hit me right away. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I was looking up that, the band. I, I don't know if I can pronounce it right, but it's like uh, Phantomas. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. I've heard of it. I, I haven't. I mean, I haven't heard the the album, but I, I, that name rings a bell. Yeah, the uh, it's kind of like a super group. So, like you know, there was like Mike Patton, uh, Dave Lombardo, who played in oh. Slayer, right. uh, Buzz Osborne from Melvins, and uh, Trevor Dunn from Mr. Bungle and Tomahawk, which I think was their other side project with Mike Patton. Huh. Very cool. But yeah, it's yeah. it was kind of like it's definitely a different album uh yeah like, yeah you know, i'll have to check it out experimental I... you know <laughs> yeah uh yeah yeah and i there like i said tom morello had some stuff that came out of uh one of, one of his solo things that you know his guitar is just amazing but he did some very sort of experimental stuff um just sort of off the wall guitar stuff with with effects and, and things like that that just kind of blew my mind and and was really sort of uh, off the beaten path for for what I you know from what I had known previously of his. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, getting back uh, towards towards your novels, uh, sure. you know, Odd Man Out is uh, you know your first novel, and it seems to be like the one that uh, just people really gravitated to, and you know, was nominated for awards. Yeah, um, and I I really like the the premise of the story as uh uh it's like an, an alternate history with like uh the civil war right. and and you know incorporating like zombies and uh a steampunk element 
for right. for the people who haven't read the book, what uh, you know, in your words, like what what's the book about? Well, yeah, uh, you 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 hit on the on the sort of the main point there, but I mean, this this is one of a couple of my stories, maybe maybe more than a couple of novels that uh, started out as a short story. I uh, I wrote this short story uh, about uh, time during the Civil War, where basically the they they've they've put the Civil War on hold. They've called a truce between the North and the South to because there's been this outbreak of. Uh, of uh, zombies, they don't call them zombies. They call them chewers, uh, basically, because their mouths are constantly moving and they'll bite just about anything that gets near them. Um, so they call it they call a truce, and uh, basically, the middle of the country is is more or less overrun, or not not passable, I guess, uh, and and sort of working its way toward the coast, you know, sort of spreading out. And, and there's there's plenty of outbreaks along the coast as well, but the middle of the country is in bad shape, and. So our heroes uh, are uh, are two. They 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 run this transportation company, sort of that goes from one end of the country, one side of the country to the other side. So if anybody wants to go to the east coast or the west coast, they have sort of these uh, mechanical. They call it a turtle. It's it's if you if you're familiar with uh, the Empire Strikes Back, they're kind of like those adats that the that the Imperials used. Only they're shorter and they're they're just used basically for transportation. Yeah. And so people would pay, you know, huge sums to go from one of the country to the other safely. Uh, there are some airships out there that cost a lot more money to take you back and forth. But if you were really poor and wanted to move, you you hired to to get onto one of these ships or one of these, you know, walking sort of turtles. Mm. And um, so at one point things go bad, and uh, the uh, as they tend to do in novels, and uh, there's an outbreak on one of these uh, turtles, and they uh, they are rescued. Our, our main characters are rescued by an airship that it's part of the, basically the UN, the United Nations, who's keeping the peace between the North and the South, making sure everybody's on the up and up with this truce. And so they join up with them to sort of fight the, uh, the, the uh, zombie outbreak, but they have plenty of other problems. There's other people causing trouble, there's stuff going on. So they, they have to do that. And I kind of described at, from that point that the book is really the chewers, the zombies, you know, the, they're sort of the, the background at that point it's not like they're constantly actively fighting them they're they're sort of in the background where they go to the people go to safe areas and uh you know that those the zombies are there you know that they're coming but um for the better part of the story they're fighting this other uh sort of uh, problem which is uh, a sort of rebel uh faction from the north that wants to get the war started again and wants to uh you know uh, make things go their way wants to change the outcome of the civil war by breaking the truce when the north or when the the, the uh, excuse me uh the south could actually win but you know it's it's this constant tug of war with the characters so um so these guys join up and we you're really following their lives and and uh the the constant threat of these zombies and the there are other things that they find out these guys that are running this uh rebel faction find out where the zombies kind of started um there's so much going on in this novel. Uh, it, it was fun. I got a, real, a lot of really good reviews, and they all said there is so much going on. And uh, one place even I, you know, called it like every genre, like it's a zombie horror, sci-fi, steampunk, you know. And they they went, went through all the genres it hit. But um, the, the main guy who's uh, who's who's trying to to uh, you know get these rebels going uh, works for a circus uh, in town, like the only 
sort of entertainment for miles uh, because, you know, and they, they have fake, uh, you know, animals in there that are like, oh, we've got uh, this cryptid, we've got a, you know, and, and they're all just, you know, like mice with antlers stapled on or whatever. But uh, he finds out that he can get a hold of an actual creature uh, that might have gone through the same sort of thing that started the zombie outbreak. And so part of their whole story is going to get this uh, monster that they've, they've, they've sort of heard. And they they uh, have to sail off and, and, and get that. And there's sort of all these sort of side adventures going on that, that collide at the, you know, toward the, toward the end. And our heroes, uh, uh, Cyrus and Lucinda, are the, uh, are the two main people who were on the original Turtle. Uh, they've got to, you know, pick their sides and they've got to see what they have to do to survive. And uh, it sounds like a lot going on, but I, but uh, like I said, I've, I've been told, I've been assured that uh, it, it works out in the end or it looks good in the end. Nice, nice. So, so yeah, like I said, it kind of started as, as just a, um, a short story about this outbreak on a turtle and, you know, they, they have to try and survive. And, uh, and so I kept sending it out to magazines and, and anthologies and things like that. And I got rejected, not, not because they didn't like the story, but I, I got at least a couple that rejected it because they said, you know, this feels like it's something bigger. Like you, uh, you know, we want to know what happens after the end of this story. We want it to be, you know, uh, where it goes from there. So I just kind of started building on it and finding natural ways, natural to my brain, at least, uh, natural ways to continue that story and what the world would be like around them. Uh, which is, you know, a challenge sometimes if, you, if you've already written this sort of capsule, this little, you know, pill of a story, and you have to expand it into, you know, a boulder or, a, you know, or whatever. Uh, so uh, it was just finding that uh, that fun setting for it. Um, I, I really, my, my dad's the family historian, so he had all these records of uh, where my family had been in the Civil War. And so I kind of use some of that as, a, as, a, as the background to sprinkle into it, you know, mm. just a few things here and there. Yeah. And so, yeah, and it just expanded from there. And it took that being my first novel, and I had no idea what I was doing. And it took me a long time. I mean, it was probably two or three years of really of writing it. Right. Um, and and like I said, you know, I, I eventually found some people that could help me edit it and and you know, uh, give me some ideas on on uh, development and some things I could change. So, um, so from there, uh, I got lucky. I've, I've been sending it out to. Um, uh, all these places, all these agents and, and some publishers, a, a friend of mine uh, contacted me that I'd met at a conference years and years before. And she said, Hey, you know, the last time we talked, I know you were working on a book. What, you know, where did that end up? And it turns out she was going to be editing a new line of horror or of uh, sci-fi novels from a horror publisher. The horror publisher is a uh, raw dog screaming press. And they were launching this sort of sci-fi angle, a new line of, of novels that was going to be dog star books. And she was going to be editing it. So they asked to take a look at it. They, 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 they liked it. And it became one of the uh, uh, first books that they launched with. They, they launched with uh, three novels and mine was one of them. So when you said it, it was it, it got popular, uh, you know, one of my more popular books, it just happened that it was part of it was that it was launching with this whole new, you know, uh, endeavor that they put a lot into mm. and uh, people really responded to it well. So interesting. Uh, yeah, I got really, really lucky with it. For sure. Now, yeah. I, I know uh, you said like the zombies in the novel are a really small part, but uh, something just keeps telling me to ask you, uh, do you explain in the book, like why the zombies occur, like why there are zombies in the book? I explain that, you know, it's a civil war. So there is sort of a rogue Northern scientist uh, who, uh, well, maybe not necessarily rogue, but he is off trying to come up with ways to end this war. 
he's on an island somewhere and that's sort of as far as i go with it that you know some sort of experiment that he's done uh that's where they trace it to ground zero more or less for them is that he's done some sort of experiment that got this whole thing going but you know i don't you know explain exactly what he did or or why so i leave it open as, as as pretty much a mystery and there's some other things that come out of that as well other experiments that they end up using throughout uh, both the novels, this one and its sequel. Not only is he doing like chemical or biological experiments, but his team is also, you know, bring, making up new weapons and they're making up, you know, so that's not only an explanation for why there are zombies, but there's also an explanation for me to introduce weapons and introduce, you know, other things that definitely weren't around in the Civil War, but this whole team has been working on them, you know, and, uh, and there's, you know, that sort of reasoning that, they've accelerated their, their, their research and their testing. And so they've come up with new weapons and new, new uh, tools to, to fight the war. So uh, it, with that one little concept, I've managed to, you know, chuck it, you know, check out any disbelief about, Hey, you can't have a, you know, you can't have a flamethrower or you can't have this or what, you know, <laughs> I, I like, well, they built it, they were researching. So, and a lot of the things that I used were already other than zombies, a lot of the equipment that I use uh, or that they come up with was already not that far off in the future. It was maybe a few years away in our timeline. So I, I, I thought it would be reasonable to say they could accelerate their research or their ideas to, to modify what they already had and make it, uh, you know, make a, a flamethrower show up or whatever, you know? Right. Right on. Fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, you know, years later you would write uh, the sequel to, Red Gear 9. Was that always your intention to uh, continue the story of Odd Man Out? Well, yeah, I'd had ideas to continue it. And when that first book did so well, when Odd Man Out itself did so well, uh, the publisher gave me a three book contract and said, you know, you know, if you if you, you know, want to sign up with us, you can well, you can do three books, but at least one of them has to be a sequel. And since I'd already had ideas for it, um, I jumped at it, of course, you know, why not, why not have a, <laughs> have a chance to do three more books. Um, and I also have another one uh, that would go perfectly at the end of the second one. But yeah, I, I mean, I always had the idea that this basic crew, even if it's just the, the first two people we meet, um, would keep going and uh, have side adventures and, and hopefully do another novel. I'd actually had ideas for um, like up to five total, I think. But in writing that sequel, I kind of combined two of those ideas into one. So uh, I, I probably have at least one or two left that I, I, I would write with it. But yeah, you know, I, I wanted that, that, that series, that idea of uh, uh, continuing characters that I could revisit. Um, the, the weird thing about actually writing that sequel was, you know, the first book, I, like I said, took about three years to write and it didn't come out till 2013. So coming back to write the sequel almost like, 10 years later from, from starting it, actually longer than that from starting it. Um, Cause it was a long time finding publisher. Uh, it was really weird. You know, I, 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 I didn't forget the characters, but I forgot some of the side characters and some of the side situations. And uh, it was, it was kind of like starting all over in some ways. I mean, I, I had that basic idea in my head of what I was going to do, but once I jumped in there, I had to think about, is that guy still alive? Was that guy eaten by a chewer? Was that guy, you know, who, whose side was that went on? And, uh, so it was kind of fun kind of starting over and rediscovering some of these characters and, and reading my notes and reading the book to, to see what would be a logical way to continue from there. I love doing mashups of things. So, you know, the first one's sort of an adventure, uh, sci-fi, zombie, and, uh, you know, uh, steampunk mashup. And I want to throw something extra into the, this new one. And 
I, I really wanted to do like a spy novel. So there's sort of the Confederate James Bond in, in this one is part of the side side uh, uh, no side story or part of the main story, but but uh, his background is kind of the side story. So he doesn't. So I, I had fun going through and looking at James Bond, uh, his fun gadgets and stuff, and then seeing how I could translate something like that or something you know, pre that into this book, you know, for the civil war, you know, right. trying to find the, the buzzsaw that comes out of James Bond's watch. How, you know, how would I do that? Uh, or, or, you know, whatever it was just, it was just a fun, fun way to go about it and to add uh, another element to this book. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, your novels are, are more on like the sci-fi dark fantasy with some horror elements uh, do you plan on ever writing like a full-on horror novel at some point? Well, I've I've got a couple of ideas that don't have a don't have a publisher or anything yet. I haven't started writing them, but there's there's a couple that uh, one of my favorite Stephen King novels is Needful Things. I don't know if you know that one, where there's the the shop where everybody goes in and finds exactly what they want, but it kind of comes at a, a price. I have a something that I wanted to write like that. Um, as far as going, you know. Uh, too much further than that probably more monster uh stuff than than anything else which always carries a little bit of a sci-fi element to it mm -hmm. um i think probably um uh white amble is probably closest to you know a full-on horror novel for me right now it has those sci-fi elements but once you get those under wraps it's sort of survival horror story mm -hmm. um and, and that's, you know, another sort of fun thing, fun sort of movie that I used to watch were those, you know, trapped by a monster, you know, being uh, followed through the woods by something. And, you know, so I don't know if I'll ever go straight for, you know, a, a straight up horror without those other elements in it. Um, there's a couple others I have done that are you know, the sci-fi element is just very, very light just to get you into it. And then from there, it's horror or, uh, or horror mixed with something else. But mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of horror writers, I love Stephen King. And so he, he has that wide variety of subjects he's used over the years from, you know, things like Tommy Knockers and, and other sort of sci-fi elements. And, uh, just, you know, back and forth between that. He, you know, he has his own zombie novel, which kind of starts from a, if you read Cell, that kind of starts from a, a technological standpoint of the signal being sent out and, and activating this sort of gene or whatever in people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, for me, it's tough to eliminate that completely. You know, that's the kind of stuff I like reading and, and, and watching. Right. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the movie. Cell. I had read the novel at all, but yeah, I didn't read the, I didn't see the movie. Uh, I liked the movie to an extent. I wasn't thrilled with the way he, like you said uh, about mine, sort of the origin of it, the explanation mm -hmm. or the, you know, uh, but I enjoyed the setup and I enjoyed it up to a point. And I, for, as a writer, I was like, Oh, I would have done this, you know, not, not that I could improve Stephen King's writing or anything, but if I was writing that, here's where I would have went with it. You know? Right. Right. Have your own ideas of how you would work on the story. It's yeah, it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough watching movies or watch or reading novels or whatever as a writer and not saying I would have done that differently, whether it was better or worse, you know, when, when you get to that point as a writer, you expect something to happen. And if it doesn't happen the way you thought it, you, you, you figure that's an improvement, but not always, you know, it's kind of vanity, I guess, to say you can improve on someone else's story. Right. Yeah. So like uh, with me, like, you know, I'll, I'll admit, like, I'm not like a big book reader, but mm -hmm. I love listening to audiobooks just because, you know, this time in my life, uh, audiobooks are just, you know, I'm just always busy all the time. So audiobooks are always something where I can, 
throw an earbud in and go do what I have to do and, you know, listen to an audio book. And, you know, I, I go through books a lot more that way than I would if I actually pick up a book and, and read it. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm completely with you. I mean, I, for a long time before I was really writing much, I was, I would read like four books at a time. I would have like a, a novel or a horror novel. I'd have a, a, a nonfiction, this and something else. And I would just like rotate between them. And I'd finish so many books and narrowed it down to like one. And then I, I, once I started writing, I just didn't have as much time or as much sort of bandwidth to, uh, to read a novel. So I, I, yeah, I, I would put it in my headphones and there's so many places you can download stuff. I didn't listen to podcasts a little bit more than I listen to audiobooks, but um, there's some great places to download audiobooks or borrow them from your library or whatever. Right. And uh, I, I do the same thing, especially on long trips um, when I'm driving and can't can't read anyway. I might as well throw that on, you know, listen to something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I completely valid. I know a lot of authors that that just do you know only have time to do uh, audiobooks. You know, they're trying to multitask so many other things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the biggest. I wouldn't say issues, but you just the challenge that I face is, you know, I'll just, you know, I can get a lot more done if I just listen to an audiobook. Like, I, I was able to get through a few Stephen King novels in a couple of weeks than, I, you know, I ever would if I picked up one of his books and, you know, right? Oh yeah, read. yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Elmore Leonard's crime novels, and I listen to a lot of his on audiobook just because I really want to read his books, but I don't always have time, so. And they have, uh, for, for the most part, they have a, a really terrific narrator that does just about all of his books. And he's just, uh, he's perfect for the, for the tone of the, of his novels. So it's, it's great to, uh, to have, you know, sometimes you'll get a, a narrator who's just, you know, not quite on target, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, they, they do really well. And I, I really, that's, he's one of my other sort of writing influences uh, just because I like the crime novel. I like that genre and his voice is just terrific uh, as far as a, an author. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, uh, could you tell us, like, do you have any books that uh, have turned into audiobooks, or do you plan on turning any of your books into audiobooks that you haven't yet? Yeah, um, a lot of the publishers are really coming around to to uh, doing audiobooks, and uh, I I think more of mine might come. You know, uh, if the publisher doesn't do it, I might see if I can get it done myself. Um, I know that uh, Severed Press uh, that did. Uh, uh, White Anvil, and they also published um, the uh, Shadow Beneath the Waves. I know they did one for uh, an audiobook for uh, White Anvil, which is I really like the narrator on that. They were going to do one for Shadow Beneath the Waves, but I don't know if it ever. They never notified me if it did. I know they sent me an email saying, "Hey, we're going to do it," and I don't know that it actually happened. Um, but um, uh, another one I did. Uh, one of the you know I did a, a book called Carson of Venus, which um, it's called Carson of Venus: The Edge of All Worlds. It was for uh, uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc. And it was a continuation of an old Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, series that he'd been writing and had to stop, you know, stopped writing in like the 1940s. So they, they brought me on to do that. And I know they got a really terrific uh, audio team to do that. And, and they've since, like, I guess, brought on that team to do all of the books that are going to be in this series that I, that I was starting for them. And I, maybe even some of the other uh, books, just because they had done such a bang up job with it. So that one is probably probably my favorite uh, to listen to is that Carson of Venus, but that's more of a straightforward sci-fi, you know, an, an old sci-fi uh, novel, you know, really uh, that that early pulp that uh, that was you know a lot of fun to uh, to listen to and a lot of fun to read. Um, 
but yeah, I think those are, as far as I can remember right now, I think those are the only three I'm looking at them. Yeah. I think those are the only three right now that are, that are in audio. Hopefully a few others will join them. And again, if I can figure out a way to get it done, I might uh, see if I can have a few more done, even if I have to do it you know, myself and hunt people down for it, you know, right on, but yeah, yeah. Th those are great to listen to. I would, I would check out, they really did a bang up job on that book. I was talking about that white anvil, uh, just a, a lot of fun. And, and I'm really excited. That's one of my most popular books just because I'm excited because, um, you know, I, I used to love to read, you know, cryptid books when I was a kid and, you know, uh, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And to, to have a, a, a murderous Sasquatch squad out there that, uh, attacks this, uh, train, this, uh, train that crashes in the, in the Canadian, uh, mountains. Uh, it, it just got such a big response. And I think it's partially because I know there are a lot of cryptid fans, a lot of Bigfoot fans, you know, people want to read that stuff because they know that, maybe not know that character per se, since, you know, Bigfoot is, is, you know, so different in every uh, culture or whatever. It's hard to track down. It, right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's fun to, um, to see what people react to. Uh, and they really, uh, Severed Press does a great job with all their monster books. Uh, they, they do pretty big business with it. And uh, somehow this one just really hit a nerve. And I think it was my first book. Um, I know it's my first book to go, get over, I think it's got over a hundred and some reviews on uh, Amazon, which is big for me. I mean, before that I was in the thirties and forty reviews, which wow. is, you know, so yeah, so it really hit big and, and the, uh, uh, the Carson of Venus book also hit kind of big it's in the fifties or sixties, I think, as far as reviews, but it kind of had that built-in fan base of, of, uh, of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs fans that uh, had read those you know, years ago or, or were fans of uh, 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 what was the most recent movie that they did. John Carter of Mars, that series is uh, still really big. And Tarzan, of course, is another one. So all three of those characters are in this series that we started for, uh, for Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc. Um, so my book and then Tarzan shows up in another book. And then uh, the next one, I think was John Carter. And yeah, that one just came out. And then there's another one after that to do this uh, four book arc. Right on, right on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to pick up White Anvil, the audio book yeah. for sure. We talked about making that into a series with the uh, main characters of that we'll see if that anything comes of that because i really love to keep that squad together if not i think we have another series which will be um not necessarily similar but but uh we'll deal with cryptids uh down the road hopefully we'll, we'll get to that in the next uh, few months get started writing and set it up so yeah so yeah they talked about making a series hopefully we will and we can keep the adventures going for those guys you know right on yeah for sure so uh i know like there you know there's a lot of novels out there where uh authors collaborate with each other on novels uh is there like maybe like a particular uh author that you know maybe like a, a dream uh <laughs> author like who would you like to collaborate with if you could wow that's a tough one um i mean i know there's a lot of people like i that, like i said that i've kind of come up with from the same publisher that would be fun to walk uh, to uh to work with as far as a dream collaborator um uh oh I'm trying to think what his uh, his name is. Uh, actually, my dream collaborators that I that I thought about before before you even asked this, I, I was thinking of more um, nonfiction authors. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Is his name Isaac? I think I'm trying to think what his last name is right now. It's probably behind me on my bookshelf somewhere. Uh, but he wrote Devil in the White City, and oh, okay. it's a true story uh, about H. H. Holmes, the serial killer. And uh, the um, the 
World Exhibition in Chicago just before the, the 1900s. And the way he wrote that story uh, is, um, it's a true story, but it reads like fiction, you know, just the way he in includes all these details. And, uh, oh, Eric Larson, sorry, I just started to type it out and it jumped up. Eric Larson, all of his books are, are nonfiction, uh, but he does, he writes them in such detail and, and, and it's just so suspenseful in the way he works. Um, and I got to meet him at, a, at an author signing and he was just terrific to listen to when he did a, a little talk about writing uh, here in Columbus. Mm. But I, I, I think he would be a lot of fun to, to write a fiction project with, you know, and just the, the, the level of, of detail and clarity that he puts into these characters. Um, if you haven't read that book, The Devil in the White City, it's, uh, like I said, sort of the, the story of all these you know, people working hard to put on this exhibition in Chicago and, um, you know, working through, you know, tragedies and stuff goes wrong and, and, you know, all this exciting stuff they're trying to do. And then, you know, he switches from chapter to chapter every once in a while to this H.H. Holmes, who is using all this excitement and all this clamor of building uh, the buildings and, and, and making this exhibition happen. He's built a, a house of horrors, basically. He opened a pharmacy with uh, like like places for room and board above it. But he when he built it, he would like, you know, I don't know if you know the story of H.H. H. Holmes, but he would use different contractors. So like no one person knew what was going on with the house. So some rooms would dead end. Some rooms had trap doors. They had like, he had like a fire pit down in the basement that, mm -hmm. you know, so he so it's this story of you know hope of all these people just really excited about making this and and i think it was on the heels of france having this awesome exhibition and they just really want to beat them and be better than them mm -hmm. but on the other hand you have this guy who's just luring women into this exhibition giving them room and board and then they just disappear and no one knows what happened to them so right. uh just an amazing book the way he interweaves all those things and then you know later on you find out all the firsts and all the exciting things that happened at this uh exhibition you know walt disney was there as a kid and got inspired and they started they you know they put cracker jacks out for the first time at the exhibition or whatever um but it's just such a fascinating story and and the things he chooses to to put in there are just amazing so Right. Yeah, that's somebody I would love to work with. Right, for sure. And, you know, I, yeah. I will say I did uh, listen to the audiobook of that and I thought it was did a you? terrific book. Yeah, it's a trip, you know, and they've been talking about doing a movie forever, but they just haven't had, they haven't made it work just yet. So that's, that's what I heard. It, yeah. They're going to have think, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio play. That's what I was going to say. I didn't think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be interesting. It would be, it'd be uh, fun to see what they end up doing with it, but. Uh, but some of his other books are terrific too. Uh, in the Garden of Beasts, uh, Thunderstruck is another one of them. Um, Isaac Storm, I think, is is one of his better ones. But um, nothing quite hit me the way the stuff that happened in Devil in the White City happened. So, yeah, he's 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 an amazing author. Right, and you know, I will say, like, I like how uh, he adds in like, you know, factual information in it to where it's like, no, that's interesting. I didn't know that happened. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Like on that day, you know, they were they were you know doing this, and then all of a sudden this happened, or you know this happened to be the day that you know somebody won an election, or you know something somebody's a riot breaks out or something. But just those little things that you didn't know right. and and are connected somehow. Like the the troubles of actually making the uh, the world fair and just right. Uh, you yeah. know, just all the information that maybe you wouldn't know per se without actually doing some research. Yeah. Building the buildings. And, and I think it was the first 
a big event with all electric lighting, maybe I, I could be wrong, but, and so having to go through that and figuring out how to string all these lights or how to make all this work on such a grand scale was just, uh, just mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think people that listen to this podcast, if you haven't read or listened to the book, you should definitely check it out. Cause I, I, I watched, uh, you know, I've watched some documentaries on HH Holmes and I've read some other stuff on him, but this, particular book to, to, to show all those weird connections was the only place I'd, I'd seen that. Yeah, it, it really just expands, um, you know, what what H.H. Holmes was doing while the World Fair was going on. So it just kind of explains everything surrounding uh, Chicago, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What was going on in Chicago, how they, they had to get the land and how they had to make the land usable. And just, yeah. Um, I know some people in Chicago that are, are big fans of that book, just because it's so much of the history that, you know, right there near 1900, how, how Chicago really started to come into its own, I guess, is because of this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So, uh, you know, moving on to, uh, I, I don't know if, if you want to uh, dive into some of some of your other books or oh, yeah. uh, if you want to talk about uh, the horror genre. Uh, well, I can, I can do a quick rundown of a couple other books that, you know, of, of mine. I, I think I just finished writing, I think, my eighth book. And then I have a couple uh, collections of sci-fi and horror poetry, which I didn't know was a thing uh, for a long time. Um, but uh, that I, I went to a, a you know, I tried some poetry here and there just as a writer and wasn't you know big into it and again in college I wrote some poetry but it always sort of had that genre bent to it where I really wanted it to be you know science fiction or horror or whatever and I go to a conference in uh sort of mid it was probably like 2005 or around in there and there's these uh there's a there's a workshop on uh horror poetry which I had no idea so I go and I'm thinking, you know, horror poetry, Edgar Allan Poe, things like that, which are probably early, you know, sort of front runners of, of that. Uh, but this was really writing poetry, uh, different forms of poetry, different styles of poetry, but it, entirely horror. And, you know, it, it's not just, you know, your, your vampires, it's psychological, it's, it's, you know, a little of everything. And the people I met that day were, were really uh, excited about it and really, you know, informative. And they, they uh, had been from uh, Seton Hill University. And so they taught uh, classes on horror and genre poetry. And so it kind of got me into it. And uh, I, I started getting a few things published here and there. Mine, you know, they were subjects all over the place. My, my favorite, of course, being Godzilla. I have a, a Godzilla poem that was nominated for some awards. Um, I had, uh, you know, just weird creature sort of poetry. And it was just a blast to write. And it was you know, something, a form I wasn't that familiar with, you know, I wasn't, you know, a, a big poetry fan, but getting into that got me to go back and actually read about poetry and, you know, how, how to do it right, how to, how to break the rules, how to, how to know the rules. And uh, I end up self-publishing uh, uh, 2007 or eight or something, some of my stuff that got published. And uh, it was a blast. I, I sold it at conferences and it was fun. And I got uh, I got a little bit of a reputation for having this out there, and a publisher came uh, across it and said he'd like to put it out for me through his press. So I didn't have to keep selling it out of my trunk. Suddenly it was online, and somebody else was de dealing with all the other stuff. So once I I, I got the, my first books done, I, I did another collection called Underwater Fist Fight that um, originally, weirdly, was uh, me uh, watching the first season of the. Uh, 
1970, uh, 78 or something like that, Godzilla cartoons. Uh, I went to the library and took these cartoons out. And I think they were also on Hulu or something for a while. So I had access to them and I would sit there and watch the cartoons. And I wrote like four poems for each episode of the cartoon. Hmm. And um, so I had a whole book full of them. I, I had like, you know, 50, 60, I forget how many uh, poems we had. And we were all ready to get it going. The publisher was suddenly, suddenly kind of got worried about getting sued for me using Godzilla quite so much because I guess Toho that, you know, owns Godzilla, it's very litigious and goes after people for sort of minor infractions of, of their trademark. Wow. So, so at the very last minute, we decided we couldn't do that. And I went back through and uh, rewrote a bunch of stuff and rewrote some things so that they weren't specifically tied to that cartoon right. uh but they ended up being all kinds of monster poems and 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 things like that and it was a blast to write and uh uh it did fairly well for for me and it was again it was another sort of just fun thing to get out there and do to have horror poetry and sci-fi poetry and com combinations of the two and uh just general weirdness so for someone who really didn't dig poetry this was sort of my gateway into you know exciting forms and 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 just things that I didn't know existed as far as poetry, you know, and it was, it was good. It was fun. Uh, and I would highly recommend everybody else go out and check out uh, a lot of terrific uh, poems uh, and uh, horror poets. Um, so those were, you know, a couple of little things that I did in there. Uh, my other books, uh, probably one of my favorite is called Indelible Ink. Um, and this is probably sort of a cross between a crime story and a horror story with just that tiny little sci-fi element. Um, there's a girl, uh, this is the main character of this book, who is uh, an assassin for this sort of criminal organization, but she has sort of this weird power inside her that helps her commit these crimes. And at some point, she uh, sort of loses control over that power or, or uses it a little too intensely, and it kind of short circuits her uh then the hold that this sort of power has over her and she figures out what you know i don't want to be doing this and how do i get out of this and of course you know anybody that wants to get out of a criminal organization the boss is never happy about that so it's the story of her um trying to save her sister who gets kidnapped by this crime boss and trying to control this power and trying to figure out where it came from and so we have all those fun criminal uh st crime story elements to it but we also have that little added feature of uh an out of control sort of superpower almost that this girl has that she can't quite uh, uh maintain so i loved writing that book it was so much fun like i said i love elmore leonard it was kind of my um uh, not necessarily my you know tribute to him or whatever but it was it was definitely my crime story that i uh, that i sort of went his direction in uh i have another one called um uh the boogeyman's intern which was another book that I'd written early on and uh, didn't know what I was doing. So I kind of shelved it for a while. And then when I came back and had, had a couple of things published, I, I reworked it and, and brought it back. It's sort of a murder mystery, but it takes place on sort of this other world. It's actually called the other world. Uh, it's more humor than, than anything else, but it's a mystery uh, that, that concerns this other world is where all of the sort of imaginary things or, 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 people, or things that people claim are imaginary uh, go when you can't see them. Like if you're, you know, nobody ever finds, ever sees Bigfoot except for these little glimpses. Well, he's usually on this other world. And then when it's his turn to go back and, you know, make an appearance, he goes and hangs out in the woods, lets somebody take a blurry picture and goes back there. <laughs> um, so all these creatures that are all these concepts that are imaginary or considered imaginary by some people, uh, you know, Santa Claus, and he's sort of there. Uh, there's leprechauns, the tooth fairy. Uh, so they all hang out and eventually, um, 
one of them dies. And so our, our hero has to, uh, has to figure this out because no one's ever died there before. So he has to go, you know, go through all the steps of a murder mystery of, of being a, a cop and investigating this, this, mur- this mystery, but he's talking to tooth fairies. He's talking to, you know, other Bigfoots and aliens and things like that. So, and so it's meant more for fun. And occasionally they come over to our world to do some investigating and, and go back. But uh, it was just a fun way for me to write everything I loved into it. You know, it was like all those books I read as a kid. Let's see, Loch Ness Monster. Sure, we'll put him in there. Uh, you know, leprechauns, uh, ghosts, there's ghosts in there. You know, fun stuff like that, that are just sort of disputed as, as far as to whether they're real or not. But they're, they're real, but not in the way we think, I guess. So right. uh, it was a blast. It was, it was another one, writing a fun sort of, humor uh, novel with all these cryptids and, and all these other ideas was was a lot of fun interesting um yeah yeah fun. it was it was yeah it's so um and that's one i would love to write another book in but i honestly i don't <laughs> after using all that i don't know what my next concept would be um and the other book i was I, w- I would talk about is uh the shadow beneath the waves which i loved writing and and i've got some good reviews on but it didn't do as well as i'd hope but it's it was my uh my kaiju versus mech sort of story where um uh, my dad's a big fan of the author uh clive cussler who writes all these adventure novels there's been some movies made of his books Mm -hmm. and basically it's you know a treasure hunter or whatever they go and find this you know we lost treasure or whatever so i started with that concept of these treasure hunters who are finding a treasure and they have an in uh at the with the government or with a, a government agency who tells them this takes place in the future after a uh uh, sort of a, a rebellion, uh, uh, this sort of small force that decides they're going to try and, you know, uh, uh, lay claim to part of, I believe it was part of China is what I started with, but there's sort of this, you know, larger force in, 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 in it. But uh, so to sort of fight their, their ideas is setting out these sort of kaijus or, or other, you know, monstrous ty- types like that. And the other governments make these mechs, but they soon discover the mechs aren't really worth it. You know, it, they're not, they're, they're too expensive. They're too huge. They're, they're not nearly as, you know, uh, as much of a force as they had hoped. So they become more for show. They become sort of a PR thing. Uh, a few of them are still out in the field and one of them uh, disappears in the middle of this conflict. And so these adventurers are given a tip about where this giant robot might be. Uh, so they go out in search of it and, uh, discover that this, uh, thing has disappeared because it, uh, sort of trapped a kaiju in a, sort of in a cave, sort of in this, this crevice and, and couldn't do anything or it would escape. And unfortunately our intrepid, uh, adventures screw up and, and this giant monster escapes. And so they try to figure out how to make this mech work to then chase down that that uh, kaiju and and fight it and and try and stop it. Um, so uh, it was fun. I mean, it was like I said, it was one of those movies that I like to watch. You know, over you know the the antenna. It was like a, a big old monster versus a big old robot. I mean, what more can I want? You know. <laughs> so that was just basically writing a book that I wanted to read, I guess. Um, and it was fun. It was another one I'd love to keep going with. It was a nice little concept at the at the center of it of these you know these adventures that. Uh, don't know what they're getting into and they're trying to, to make it uh, work and they're trying to make it right since they screwed something up. Um, but they're, they're sort of uh, not sure how, ever, how anything goes or how it works or who to call for screwing up, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so that was, that was another fun one. That was from the severed press there out of Australia that did uh, white anvil. So those are my, my big ones. Um, those might be all of them that we've talked about now, but um, yeah, no, uh, I, I've just really enjoyed, you know, 
what I, so I've got seven books out now and, and two collections of poetry. I've enjoyed taking these genres that I'd like and smashing them together with something else or, 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 you know, twisting them a little bit to what I'd like to read or what I'd like to see on a shelf somewhere. And uh, it's, it's just been so much fun to write uh, and, and, and talk about them and get them out there at conventions and, and talk about, like we're talking, talk about heavy metal, talk about, you know, jump from whatever, whatever that might be influencing me right, right. at the time or, or over time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do want to say that I, I like uh, the direction that you take your writing and mixing all, you know, mo I wouldn't say all genres, but, you know, most genres and just twisting them and just making one story out of, you know, so many different genres and elements of, of, you know, genres. So. Yeah. Oh, th thanks. It's, it's, and sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes you'll be writing and thinking, okay, I want to put, you know, I want to put uh, a sci-fi element in here and, and realize maybe that's just not going to work or maybe it doesn't totally work with it. But um, for the most part, I think, you know, they've, they've come together pretty well. It's been kind of nice to, to, to see uh, how well some things work together. I mean, the book I'm writing now has so many things that I just wanted to, you know, shove into one, uh, one little box and see what would happen. And it took me forever to figure out how to finally make the end to, to get the ending and to make it all come together. But um, it was just such a blast to take very different things and and discover that they do have things in common and that when you put them together, hopefully readers will notice, oh, wait, that that happened in that book and that happened in that book. But they they're very similar for that character's journey or they're, they're very similar for that story plot, you know, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, no, it's, it's a blast and, and some of them shouldn't work, but they end up working, you know, <laughs> like that, like I said, those reviews of the first book where they just kept naming genres that it includes, you know, hopefully that's not something that turns people off from it. You know, they tried to shove all that stuff together. Well, apparently it comes out all right, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, that, that's right. the, the interesting part is people want to check it out because there is so many different elements in, right. you know, all in one story. So it's like, wow, that's, that's really cool. You know, a lot of people uh, don't see that a whole lot. You know, like it's it's something that really is, I want to say uncharted territory, but I mean, you just don't oh, hear yeah. about, you know, mixing so many genres all together. And yeah. So very yeah. different, and, you know, very different <laughs> elements really together. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, and that may turn some people off. Maybe they don't like a zombie novel or they don't like a, the civil war setting or something like that but um it's it's interesting to see yeah i i think a lot of readers like to see things that are done a little bit different you know things that are like you said smashed together and maybe shouldn't work or and and end up you know coming together in ways you don't expect so um i think that's you know somebody asked me once if that was you know my intention with every book and it's not really my intention it's you know coming up with the idea and then saying well for me as a reader or for me as a writer having that one idea or concept is a little bit boring because you got to drop something in there to make it different you know otherwise we're all writing the same stories or the same basic you know uh plot lines over and over again but if you can drop something in that's a little weird or a little out of left field or if you drop something in where you know the reader says okay i know where he's going with this because he's following you know the same story as you know uh cloverfield or, or aliens and if you can drop something in that makes a left turn where they least expect it. They're like, oh wait, that shouldn't have happened. You know, what's going to happen now? They're not going in the direction I thought. So, to, to give the reader a surprise is is uh, one sort of bonus for me if they they realize I'm not going the way they thought. Right. Yeah. One thing I've noticed since talking to you is uh, you're like not your average basic cookie cutter author. Like you, hmm. you know, you 
have have so many uh different areas that you write in and putting things together uh you know i i think that's that's something that's really cool that you know people i think one day maybe not necessarily will get bored of just reading distinctly one type of genre but you know they'll, they'll want something different so i think mm-hmm. your books would would kind of fill in that void of what people will, will want to read for sure cool well thank you i appreciate that um yeah i i mean when i started out you know people were, were the sort of prevailing theory, I guess, would be that you write in one genre for a while, or you write a series in a genre, you know, so people know you as a steampunk author or know you as a sci-fi author before you jump over and do something else. But for me, it was like, okay, I got to write this book. Somebody bought it. They gave me another contract. I want to write whatever I can, all my fun, all the stuff I want. You know, if I, if I don't get to write any more books after that, at least I'd written, you know, my crime sci-fi story, I'd written my Bigfoot story or whatever. So rather than trying to get a name in just one genre, I just wrote whatever I had on my mind or whatever you know stories I'd had notes on and just wanted to go nuts and go wherever I felt like rather than kind of where somebody thought I should go to have a better career or to have a, you know, a career, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so yeah, thanks. I, I really wanted to, to just go in every direction and then maybe you know, settle later into doing a series somewhere and then maybe another series and, and, but still having that freedom to do whatever I wanted and and hopefully that having that wide range of subjects down the road might give someone uh, a reason to hire me to write another book for you know a different subject or another book for a completely different subject. Um, that's always you know kind of been my intention. I think it's kind of how I ended up writing um, Carson of Venus, uh, The Edge of All Worlds, is that someone already knew my writing and had read it before, and I had sort of applied for another uh, I, another uh, novel that they were looking for somebody to write and just wasn't quite right for that, but they knew my background was such that I might be right for this one when it came up uh, you know, years and years later. So it's kind of been a benefit and hopefully other publishers and agents and people down the road are gonna say, oh, okay, he can handle just about everything or you know, hopefully handle just about everything. <laughs> yeah. So I know like earlier you mentioned that you're working on a new book right now, but uh, can you tell us like what's next for Matt Betts? Well, um, you know, I'm going to finish this book and hopefully we'll get it out and and, uh, send it to agents and uh, uh, other publishers and see if somebody's interested in it. Um, Like I said, it's really weird that this one, I've mashed more things together than I I usually do, but there's so much fun and they're so sort of similar in theme that it's it's hard to believe no one's made notes or, or written a book sort of like it. Uh, just on that basis. But I've also recently got started a, a podcast of my own. Um, I, it's called Something from Nothing. It's with a network called the Ship It Network. And they, uh, the, the, uh, the, the premise of the podcast is just basically a, a lot like what we're doing right now. I, um, I interview creative people and, and uh, find out what makes them tick, find out their origin story and uh, you know, see where, where they're at right now and who their influences are and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, interviewed some actors, some uh, musicians, a few poets, a couple of horror writers. Uh, some of my favorites uh, came on and and, and uh, talked about their early works and, and how they got into what they do. Um, so that's a blast. We're just now starting our, we, have, we sort of did like a six episode season to, to try it out with them. And we're starting our next six episodes now. Um, and then after that, like I said, uh, I'm looking to find a home for this book and hopefully that'll lead to what's next, you know, I, I've got tons of ideas for books, but I really, uh, I, I, it's finishing this one and figuring out where I'm going to go next. Uh, what do I want to write or, or, or uh, what publisher I might end up with, but 
um, man, yeah, it's it's up in the air right now for the first time in a while. You know, I've had contracts for books for since that first one came out. So for like the last eight years, I haven't had to worry about where my next book is going to go. You know, <laughs> so right. now I'm like finding homes for all my my little concepts and ideas. Right on. Well, yeah. Uh, best of luck to you on you know. Hopefully, you can find a home for your new book and and you know, good luck on your podcast too as well. Thanks. I really appreciate you talking today. Uh, this has been a terrific conversation. Um, you know, I always like coming out and, and talking about just writing in general and what, you know, what, where ideas come from and, and stuff. So this has been a blast for me. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Um, before, before we take off here, I got, uh, just a couple more questions. Sure. Um, so this is, this is kind of like a reoccurring question that, that I like to ask guests that come on the show, but, uh, what is your favorite universal monster or universal monster film? Oh man. So the old school and I, I, are you, a, I'm assuming you're talking about the originals or are you talking about the new universal they were trying to, trying oh. to start up there? <laughs> well, we'll go with the original. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that the uh, creature from the black lagoon was one of those original universals, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love Frankenstein. I love, uh, you know, Dracula and, and all of those like old school ones. But for me, the, uh, the creature from the black lagoon was, different i mean it wasn't so you know it's not new now but it was sort of a newer type of weird creature it was you know had its own sort of uh backstory that uh that really you didn't see from those earlier ones that were based on you know uh uh, mary shelley's frankenstein and things like that um it was i don't know and i always had sort of sort of had this affinity for water you know i don't know why i you know i grew up like i said with the jaws uh fear of jaws and the uh, the pool in the backyard that i didn't want to go into but i've always sort of been drawn to those sort of strange uh ocean or river creatures and things like that and i think they just did a, a terrific job with it it's always fun to see how they filmed some of that early stuff with you know hidden scuba tanks or whatever but mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that creature was probably one I gravitated toward fairly often. For sure. I, that one seems to be a, a popular choice on this podcast, oh, yeah. for sure. Cool. There's there's only like, I think like one person said the mummy, which I, I was really? thrown off by that. But um, I, I was less about the mummy uh, uh, until it came around to Brendan Fraser's version, version of that series. You know, their, mm-hmm. their sort of the mummy series was was good. Um, I also liked uh, The Invisible Man quite a bit. That was always a pretty cool concept. And uh, I was watching some uh, behind the scenes uh, uh, video the other day of how they did some of the effects in The uh, the Invisible Man, which were just crazy and just amazing for the time. So, and the, the story for that was pretty awesome too. So, right. um, so I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll cast my vote sort of that way if it breaks any ties or, you know. <laughs> But yeah, no, they had some pretty good stuff. And I mean, I talk about how the original Godzilla held up so well. Um, so many of those universals, just the way they were filmed and, and the makeup and, and everything uh, being so far behind what we have now or how we do things now, uh, the way they hold up, you know, the way that, that makeup and the effects and the things still hold up in a lot of those movies uh, and make them, you know, just as, as scary as, as uh, a lot of the stuff we see today. Right. Yeah, I... I always uh, kind of gravitate back to those older films. Uh, if I kind of get burned out of uh, some of the newer stuff, I always kind of go back to those as kind of like the roots or the blueprints of horror films. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I will say, and I think I've said this on a podcast before, but uh, just <clears throat> the invisible man 
back then like it was just so ahead of its time yeah and just you know with all the camera tricks and you know i'm sure viewers back in that day probably just thought like that was some of the coolest thing ever it's like you know how do they do that well right yeah i was gonna say that's that's part of it it's like you know they they didn't know the camera tricks you know that early on it's i they had to have been freaked out by some of that stuff you know um the the show or the podcast it's not really a podcast but uh, the series I was watching is called Corridor Crew. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, uh-huh. uh, but they have a YouTube channel where uh, a, a lot of their uh, thing is like stuntmen reacting to stunts, you know, like a real stuntman in the studio with them talking about good and bad stunts. But they also have uh, like effects people talking about good and bad effects. And they did a whole sort of section on some of the ways they did uh, that particular one in uh, how, how they, he removed his bandages in The Invisible Man. Uh, and going behind the scenes and showing how they did it and what the the painstaking effort they would have to do sometimes to you know get a little tiny bit out so you could see through his head or or whatever Um, but it's a terrific uh, series that goes through you know some fun uh, uh, movies and some terrible movies but really going in and showing exactly or talking about exactly how they would do it and they'll have like real stuntmen on to talk about stunts and stuff like that so uh, that's one of my favorite youtube series right now just because they do occasionally go into the really old movies or they do a lot of Jackie Chan stunts and talk about those or uh, Harold Lloyd and the old, you know, his old movies talk about how he managed all that stuff. So uh, I highly recommend going, checking that channel out for behind the scenes uh, looks at what it took to do certain things. For sure. For sure. Uh, Matt, uh, before we take off here, uh, where can the listeners go to find more info like uh, uh, about your books and, and more about you? Well, if they actually want to know more about me, uh, it's on mattbetts.com, M-A-T-T-B-E-T-T-S.com. Uh, also, uh, the podcast is up at, uh, it's something for nothing. So you, you go to sfnpod.com and it'll take you to a, a little page that talks a little bit about it. And uh, you can you can find everything else from there. So you can find my uh, Twitter and my Facebook and all that fun stuff from those pages. Awesome, man. And I, I kind of want to just give like a little shout out to uh, Samantha Downey from Fearless PR for helping set up this podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's been great. Yeah, I, I really appreciate her efforts. And, uh, and uh, I'm so glad she got me connected with you. This has been terrific. Right. Yeah, it is so great to, to meet you and talk to you, like, you know, meet you virtually, but you know, <laughs> right. Yeah, this, is, this was a lot of fun yeah. to talk to you, man. Terrific. Yeah. And I, I look forward to talking to you with, uh, with you again, if, uh, if uh, we uh, find a, a good reason to come in and talk and uh, discuss the next book or discuss uh, some movie down the line or whatever, I'd love to talk to you again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Likewise, you know, cool. uh, I'll have to have you back on at some point and we'll, we'll talk about your newest efforts and the horror genre. Yeah, absolutely. When I mean, we didn't even get to, we didn't even start talking about movies. So we'll save that for next time. Okay. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Marcus. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, Matt. Well, that was the episode with Matt Betts. Uh, I just want to quick say thank you so much for coming on the show, Matt. And uh, definitely have to have you back on again. It was a lot of fun. I uh, think there's plenty more to talk about. We're just running low on time. But uh, we'll definitely get something scheduled back up sometime in the future. I kind of already uh, said the announcements that I needed to make at the beginning of the episode, so I don't really need to say much more. Uh, Besides, uh, if you like the podcast and uh, would like to give us a review at wherever you listen to this podcast, 
be greatly appreciated. Uh, you can even email me uh, your feedback at rudehorror at gmail.com. Uh, just definitely want to hear more input uh, if you guys are liking the episodes and uh, maybe some maybe some suggestions as to what you would like to hear on the show for future episodes. Um, yeah, be greatly appreciated uh, for more uh, Root Horror podcast content. Uh, everything can be found at www.linktree.com forward slash root horror podcast i'm on the instagrams the facebook's twitters even have a website kind of dive into uh more stuff on uh from you know from over the past of what all i've done and just you know more more stuff about the podcast on the website so go check it out youtube channel which is slowly getting built up but i do have some content on there so go check that out and then uh you know with all the links uh, to matt betts's uh like website and whatnot i'll have that in the show notes as well so if you want to hear more about uh the novels he's worked on and where to buy them at i'm sure it'll be on his website so go check out his website and uh Thanks to Nightlight for providing the music to the show. Really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to make the song. It sounds awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening and uh, stay tuned for the next one. Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. 
the PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.